Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, and welcome to the Uncontentious Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brown. Today, I'm joined by Robbie McGuire and Matthew Moss from Fighting on Film. So we'll get started by talking about, uh, we're introducing each of them individually, and they can tell us a little bit about what they do and uh, how they got into this. So if you want to go first, Matt. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Um, You're welcome. Great to, great to be here. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a historian by trade. Um, uh, I have a, a master's in military history from uh, the University of Chester. And um, I specialize within um, my academic writing on small arms history. So it's a history of um, firearms uh, and other infantry weapons up to um, anti-tank weapons, that kind of thing as well. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's that's my, my kind of uh, historic background. I've been doing this for about, ooh, I don't know, it's going on about eight years now. Um, I started a website in 2013 called historicalfirearms.info. Uh, and that was just a blog that I did uh, just after my uh, undergrad had finished. And I wanted to keep my hand in. Um, and it, it turned out that people were interested in this stuff. So I, I, I kept writing. Um, been published in a number of uh, magazines, including The Armourer, um, Small Arms Review, uh, Military History uh, Monthly, those kind of uh, magazines in the UK. And then a couple of others in the US. Um, and then in uh, ooh, 2018, I did my master's. And then I, I've written a couple of books since. My first book was on the, the Sterling submachine gun, which was uh, developed in the late uh, mid to late 40s and uh, became the British Army standard submachine gun for the next ooh, 50 years up until the 90s. And then I uh, just just a year or so ago, I, I wrote a book on the, the PIT, the Projector Infantry Anti-Tank the British Army's um, infantry anti-tank weapon of, of World War II, uh, the latter half at least. Yeah, that, that's basically me in a nutshell. Um, Rob and I met uh, about two years ago now um, Yeah, in the midst of, of the, the pandemic. 
um, and we decided to do a, a podcast. Oh, and I, I run a, um, a the Armourer's Bench, which um, is a sort of mixed media. I, I, I write articles and uh, do videos uh, to dig a little bit deeper into uh, small arms history. So there's lots of channels that do that kind of thing, but I like to to accompany each art, uh, each video with a, with an article, which yeah. gives the sources of where I'm finding the info. And uh, so if, if anyone wants to build on what I found, then they can do. Uh, and that comes from my academic background. It's something that I, I think is really important to do. Uh, but yeah, they're my, they're my main projects. Um, fighting on film, <laughs> historical firearms and the armorer's bench. That's my, they're my, my three main ones. Oh, fantastic. No, no, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, I think the armorer's bench is how I came across you, Matt. Um, and then I first met you at uh, Hat Green about a year or two ago. As far as that's right, yeah. Yeah, Whitney, you, you were doing some... Pre-pandemic. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Those times <laughs> are how we remember. Um, Heady days. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and you were doing stuff with Simon Moore of Rock and Moore fame um and spoke to you briefly there and then we sort of um chatted briefly occasionally after that and um and then i bumped into you again at we have race fest and that's i think that's where yeah. i first met rob first met robbie as well i think um i've spoken to him briefly i think before that as far as i remember but um the first time i met um you robbie was then um so yeah. that's what that you know, kind of nicely segues into uh so uh, robbie tell us about yourself well yeah i'm i'm a matt's co-host on fighting on film um, we co-created that, as Matt said, in the what was it, October 2020, um, pandemic times, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, just always had a love of war movies. I was a reenactor for nearly nearly a decade. Um, stopped doing that and then sort of went to uni, uh, got a degree in drama, decided I didn't, I didn't want to be an actor anymore. Um, and then now I find myself, you know, making history videos for YouTube. Got my own YouTube channel called RM Military History. It's very broad palette. It's nothing too niche. It's just I make videos on things that I find interesting. So I did a video all about uh, the VCs of the Korean War because I just Fantastic. noticed there wasn't one. Then I went and did stuff about the Belgians in the Korean War. Um, recently done a video on, well, I'm developing a video about the Battle of Sustran at the moment. Um, but yeah, so I sort of segue back into history after a while and finding my feet really. But I think... Um, last couple of years I think I was really really come on leaps and bounds and obviously meeting Matt and stuff has really helped and I edit the Fortnum film pod and find guests and things Bob like that. does a lot so, of hard work yeah. Yeah <laughs> the hard yards yeah. That's that's sort of like Steve with us really as well. <laughs> he does a lot of the, the hard heavy lifting and as well as he's do, got other stuff on the plate as well so he's do, he does a lot which is crazy so respect to him for that but no that's, that's brilliant that's awesome. Um, So going on to sort of thing as I said to uh, Matt the first time I sort of came across him was through the Armour's Bench and then um, come into it. And then through that, obviously I found fighting on film and I've absolutely been loving the podcast. It's been brilliant. Um, no, no, you're very welcome. So really, we appreciate it. And actually like you guys got me into um, something very recently as well. Like uh, for your little recommendations, when you did Pearl Harbor and Spearhead, I've started watching Spearhead. Oh, yeah. I started watching Spearhead recently. It's actually been quite good. Um, good, isn't it? so, I, I'm yeah. surprised I've never come across it before because I, I I watched the hell out of Soldier Soldier when it when it was out well when it was out I was only born in '95 but still um, uh, no that's that's that was it's been brilliant there were some obviously as I from my sort of standpoint there was a lot of things I can nitpick um, like yeah. my my father had served um, uh, did five tours in Northern Ireland I was like how does this hold up he went 
<laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. he, he had comments about it um, because he was. it came out whilst he was actually deployed to Northern Ireland in 78. So, because um, ah, so, his first tour was in 76 when he was 18, he then went out again in 78 um, and then did another one in 80 and then 81. I think 80 was an emergency tour as far as I remember, as well as 78, I think, for him. But um, yeah, so it did. the world, join the army. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where are you now? I'm in Ireland. Where are you again? I'm in Ireland again. So that's great. Um, but um, so it the little things that did like niggle me was like uh, the use of like flak jackets on like um, rural patrol and like an IPs was a bit odd. But apart from that, the series as a whole, well, the three series as a whole, are very, really, really good. I'm sort of partway through series three at the moment when they're in Hong Kong. So it's mm. um, I'm quite enjoying it, though, to be honest with you. So I really appreciate that little suggestion, guys. That's all right. We like to find things that, and we like to talk about films and TV shows that people yeah. might have overlooked because that's half, <laughs> yeah. the, that's half the fun, really. Um, exactly. Yeah, we've done exactly. a few of those. I think they're, in the really half, they're, they're some of the most fun ones, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's like the mission statement of the podcast. <clears throat> well, the intro of the podcast is literally podcasts about classic and obscure war movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think the genre in itself is quite it's a little bit obscure because it, it, you know, it's one of those genres where people watch the big hitters like Private Ryan, <coughs> Platoon, yeah, uh, nineteen seventeen, and Dunkirk for something recent, but they <coughs> might not delve any deeper. And we wanted no, to be exactly, that exactly be that beacon with that within that film genre, <coughs> saying look, these are films you should be watching. There are actually good representations of historical war and historical combat and warfare. Yeah. done well and there are good fictional tales of, of combat and warfare as well so it's you know no, yeah, absolutely absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely um because uh one of my ones i really really like listening to of your of you guys was and um, when you did theirs is the glory because it's a brilliant brilliant piece of filmmaking and especially like 1946 right after the war the the kit in it and that's why i love the section in your podcast the um ali tally i think is brilliant um, I really yeah. love it. Uh, this one a bit look forward to as well a lot. Um, but also, in regards to a film you uh, did an episode on a short while ago about it happened. It happened here, which I'd never heard of before, which was great. And That's another I was one like, that kind of we dug up and, and <clears throat> thought no one really talks yeah. about this. Yeah, because mm. within film circles, like <clears throat> there's a lot going for it. You know, Kubrick assisted the production, things yeah. like that. But as as reviews go, there aren't many in-depth ones so oh, it's, that, it's yeah, nice definitely. to be able to to really get to grips with these movies it's, it's just what absolutely joy no absolutely and yeah it was it's like how a small independent sort of amateur film is able to get the whole hold of a yag panther and, and goodness what else for the production it's like that's, that's insane it's incredible isn't it it's, yeah it's just two young lads that, that decided they wanted to make a war film yeah, it's um, great. and quite an interesting one at that it, uh, not to spoil it for anyone mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it uh, or if you haven't listened to the episode we did on it but it's it basically looks at Britain um, that's been occupied. Uh, we have been invaded. We've been occupied, and it, it tells a story of um, a nurse who has to travel to London to <clears throat> to find work, and it's just a fascinating little journey that she goes on, and, and we get like this slice of mm-hmm. of Britain occupied by the Nazis. It's mm. it's incredibly well done, and the research and the depth that they went to in, into to looking into what life would actually be like under under occupation is really fascinating. The yeah. production side of things is almost as interesting as the actual movie is, itself. Like Rob yeah. said, the Kubrick connection, where he said, how are you doing for film? Uh, and he said, well, we're, 
we're, we're struggling because it's it's mm. 60 mil film you go through it quite quickly uh, and, and Kubrick just out of the blue just offered them the ends of the reels from from the, the film he was working on at the time <clears throat> it's just crazy that's crazy yeah yeah <laughs> no it, that, that's 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 what I love it's just these amazing little things you find and then in these little like hidden gems it's it's fantastic and then um forgive me I can't remember the name of the film as well you've um uh, looked at recently it's a it was a sort of independent uh one-man film um about market garden as well it was where well, it was about oh, the um field that's Basky it yeah yeah about the uh the um six pounder gunner which i thought was yeah it was brilliant yeah well that one's got mm. so much in common with theirs is the glory <clears> where <throat> is it <throat> is it it's it's that british angle on on uh, arnhem and market garden which mm. is central to a bridge too far but it it's within a more ensemble piece. But yeah, this is the glory is unique in that it's the men that were at the battle, recreating yeah. the battle on the ground the battle was fought, mm. using tanks that had been left there because they'd been immobilized. Mm. And and that's insane of itself. I can't think of you know another film that does that. <laughs> and then yeah, the Baskerville BC film is incredible because it was a one-man project over like five, six years. Yeah. And he he was trying to trying to pull this production together, and he he did an amazing job with just absolutely nothing, yeah. and it looks so good. It really does. It, it's one of those. It's one of those really. It's that's very obscure within within the <clears> movies, <throat> but it's very. It's a proper labor of love that movie, and it feels yeah. like the lost Arnhem film. It. Mm. I always feel like there's more tales to be told. Mm. Oh, uh, definitely from absolutely. Arnhem within film, but and Baskerfield is one of them. <clears> you know, there's no film about Lansdale Force. Um, defending the used to be perimeter, mm. but Baskerfield BC does touch on it. So it's a really important little piece because I, I say on the pod all the time that you know we might watch these movies for fun and entertainment, but on some level they really are they really have to get the history right and portray it as best <clears throat> as they can. Because for some people, you know, history isn't their day to day life. They just go and watch a movie at the cinema. Mm. They take it as fact. They go home again, and then that that is this is where all that bad history, this duff history, comes from. Is when people take. <clears throat> A bad movie is fact. So I think yeah. going forward, these movies have to get it right. They have to put the work in. Mm. It's like Dun- Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk has probably done so much damage to the Dunkirk's view, like the viewing of Dunkirk uh, by absolutely. regular people. So it's like that. That's where I get take umbrage with the genre a little bit. But Bas- what Baskerfield though is one of those sort of mm. chef's kiss moments where you're like, oh great, this is something special. Kind of lucky, really, because I was supposed to be in, in the extra cast for Dunkirk, so that was that sort of worked up kind of nicely. I didn't. I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong; it's visually it's beautiful, but that beach should be cluttered with all sorts of god knows, yeah, beyond it belief. falls down. Like, yeah. like, like considering that, like in the film Atonement, they get the Dunkirk beach scene absolutely brilliant for a short scene. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It looks exactly mm. like the part of beach they're trying to recreate. It looks like spot on, absolutely spot on. Yeah. But if they're able to do that in a production where the film isn't actually really about Dunkirk in a way, mm. Chris Nolan, yeah, the, ba- Batman the, director, kind of, yeah. The reason why that movie looks the way it does in certain sequences is because the Dunkirk, um, mm. I think the Dunkirk Council gave yeah. a tax <clears throat> break to Nolan's production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Dunkirk had to look nice. It couldn't look bombed out. Yeah, it was meant to be like an advert yeah. for Dunkirk itself. Yeah. But then that harms the movie. It's a bloody so it's, war film. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Come on. Exactly. Like, what do you want? Do you want spectacle or do you want 
you want actual yeah substance and it's, it, it, somewhere it's, this, that's yeah. it isn't it like when that film opened <clears> up <throat> and it opens with them walking through the streets and then you get, <clears> and they <throat> get to that um <clears throat> uh roadblock you, I, I was like oh this this looks quite good actually this this might <clears throat> be quite good <clears throat> i thought we might get a little bit of the defense of you know the outer <clears throat> perimeter etc um which we do get in 58 actually yes um <clears throat> so that to Dunkirk 58's credit, but yeah, yeah, Dunkirk was a letdown um, yeah. for a number of reasons. But we haven't covered Massively. that one yet. We're going to get um, no, we haven't. I'll get an expert on Dunkirk in for that because we know what's wrong with it, but we also want to want to have someone that can tell us what was actually, you know, yeah. Because yeah. because when when the first scene opens up when these they're going through the streets, I generally thought that was like a town further away from the coast they were going through at first because mm, it literally mm. looked like untouched. I was like, okay, and then it's maybe, and there's like, no, oh, this is actually Dunkirk. Okay, because it, cause yeah. I would say the the film is basically just um, uh, seaside holiday in khaki at that point, really. Um, yeah, that's yeah. really what it is, which is a shame. It's a massive shame because when that film was first um, advertised as being made, I thought brilliant, absolutely fantastic. This this needs to be retold, well told again, um, and maybe they can do even more justice to the fifty eight film, which was absolutely brilliant in my personal case but um but no it's it really again like a lot of modern tellings of say the great war or world war ii or whatever they've dropped the ball again which is a shame um but yeah, yeah. it's a missed opportunity and that's what great yeah. with, yeah. with dunkirk isn't it it's like because the war movies obviously fallen out of favor as a, a real box office draw like it used to be so now it, they're a little bit like the marvel movies they're like event films to yeah. get one every now and then that is yeah. the big next big war movie. So we had mm. it in 1917. We had it with Dunkirk. Mm. We, you know, we probably won't have it. I don't know what the next big production is. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. there are any being made. Yeah. So when they do come well, out, mince get... me, but I don't think that's going to be the big, big one, is it? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's, no. it's yeah. yeah. I'm not. That's like I'm an not... espionage tale. Mm. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. I've I've seen bits of it and I've, like the trailer and that, and I'm like, okay, it might be good, but yeah, it's a bit. It's 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 a similar sort of air to Fury. They want to make this sort of gritty um sort of experience and everything and then the tank museum got involved and it was like oh wow they got a tiger and everything and then it's sort of yeah it really i mean like, i love missed... i love the way that fury shot <clears throat> oh yeah it, it looks fantastic beautifully Absolutely. shot and well this is one of the things with the podcast is we come at it from both mm. uh historical point of view and also a cinematic point of view yeah, where, yeah you know yeah, rob definitely. brings his experience as an actor um, <clears throat> and we both have this innate appreciation <clears throat> for good cinema mm. um so no, we, we approach yeah. things in terms of, is this actually a good film? Is it well yeah, shot? Is it well for- edited? Yeah, because you can forgive so much. Like, you know, you, you can make concessions for actually <clears throat> everything in a war movie, but if mm. it's not a good movie at its core, yeah. it's just mm. not enjoyable. Mm. Like, you know, we did all the dunk, uh, all the uh, Dirty Dozen movies over over Christmas, <laughs> and by number four, it's, it's just not a good movie. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it can have the worst plot going. But if it's interesting <clears> to watch and there's something in there, yeah. But that's a great thing about the genre. It's so varied. There's so many different conflicts. There's so many different ways you can fight a, a war and show a war on screen. I think that's what we enjoy. I, th- I think that's why, like, um, even, like, like Inglorious Bastards, the the newer one, the Brad Pitt one, like, even though it's, like, very historically inaccurate, obviously, but it's enjoyable. I quite enjoyed it um, yeah. uh, to an extent. But, uh, but yeah, no, it, I think, uh, like with Fury, it was a good experience in the way of, like, visually and, and some of the story was good. But then it just it goes off into sort of the realms of fantasy. I'm just like I've lost I've lost all interest at this point. Um, even though it will, I think if when if uh, have you guys covered Fury? I don't think you have. No, we haven't. No, we haven't yet. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it'll be very very good. Ali Pali, I can tell you that. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the Al Italian, that would be brilliant, I think. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's great, there's <laughs> great stuff in it. I, I mean, as, even aside from the, the uh, Tiger 131 and, and the actual tanks themselves, yeah, yeah. there's loads of cool, cool shit in that film. Um, oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and the kit, the kit wise, it's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but some of the tactical employment, I don't think the, the SS would have tried to swarm a tank. Um, I think the fact that yeah. one Panzerfaust did hit it, I think a number of other Panzerfausts would have probably hit it mm. until it stopped firing. Yeah, because um, you know, it's yeah, yeah. No, you see what bit, they've done yeah. there is they've taken they've taken Frey Bentos and gone. <laughs> we're going to do Frey Bentos in World War Two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what they forget is um, in World War One they didn't have Panzerfausts. Yeah, they had yeah. to get close to throw grenades and stuff. Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. Because it's it's a bit bizarre that um, the entire um, SS sort of almost battalion size of men um almost every well every second or third man has a panzerfaust and you only and you say oh we haven't got many mm. left it's like um I, I saw everyone else with them one a minute ago where they're all gone so it's a bit a bit <laughs> like okay this this like the plot line's completely gone off the deep end at this point but yeah well that that's that's one of the things we like about doing the podcast is we can do these big big well-known films that divide opinion like Dunkirk and Fury, et cetera. And, and the, the well-loved ones like uh, Saving Private Ryan and the classics. Um, but I mean, we also like uncovering like some of the, the, the obscure stuff as we've already mentioned, but yeah, if we circle back to Dunkirk, one of the things I was really proud of last year is that we've, we sort of re-uncovered um, channel incident which has been languishing <clears throat> in the uh, imperial war museums online uh, yeah no I, I, for, for I, haven't got, I haven't got around to watching uh listen to that yet sorry but um it looks and like it'd be good it's really fascinating it's just a short propaganda movie um mm-hmm. about dunkirk and it's the first on-screen depiction of, of operation dynamo <clears throat> oh wow um, yeah and it's, it's only 20 it's minutes got long, a really it's... special Exactly. It's really good. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's way more, it punches well above its weight mm-hmm. for a short, like promotional piece yeah. for, from the Ministry of Information. Like there's, there's bits of footage in that that I don't think I've seen in other productions from Dynamo itself. Mm. Yeah. And um, the sheer amount of kit they've got to use, you know, it's really, it's really mm. great. Because um, that's the thing as well, like the British cinema industry in the Second World War wasn't bombed out. It didn't stop. Like there mm. are no. really good wartime productions mm-hmm. from the UK. Like with the, American cinema in the World War II as well is, I think, is overshadows our production of movies. But if you go through the IWM archive, the Ministry of Information were making loads of films. You know, mm. like you've got the Target for Tonight, yeah, Channel Incident, uh, mm. Miss Miniv- um, Miss Grant Goes to the Door, mm. all these okay. little films, and they keep they keep people's hand in. They keep the cinema industry going. They keep people entertained at home. And that's, I think, another great thing about what, obviously what we're doing is we can go and, and show mm. these movies off and go look. You know. We were actually fighting back on screen as well. We weren't just fighting back on, yeah. on beaches and on landing zones. No, no, absolutely, definitely. Um, and I think that's that's the great bit about um, your podcast because you're reaching out and you're and you're um, showing these obscure and unseen films to sort of the wider masses, really. And that's what gets it much more. The popularity gets up and much more information gets uh, more spread. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. And that's yeah. as I said at the start. That's how I've come. That's how through you guys I've come across new things like spearhead etc and it's just like this is just fantastic um one uh i film i have seen multiple times beforehand um beforehand was the way ahead which you guys covered a short while ago which was kind of funny because i was listening to your podcast as i went to sleep one night and i was going to help out richard fisher or the vicar's machine gun associate uh association connection and that (laughs) and the next day and i woke up to uh your way ahead episode and i was like why is richard in my room 
Um, it, was, it was really, really strange. I was like, this is very, very odd and slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh, oh, it's this episode. So, and I, and obviously he's on, he, um, talking about like the Vickers, the use of the Vickers within the movie. And it's, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's a brilliant film. Um, yeah. David Niven and, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember now. Phil Hartnell. Was, yeah. Phil Hartnell. Yeah. Phil Hartnell. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember the actor who played Fraser now. <laughs> Yeah, oh, oh John Laurie. John Laurie. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's a great one. Yeah, it's a brilliant film. Brilliant film. Obviously, like and that movie all... is like that's a propaganda piece. That film. yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, about conscription in 1944. It's mm. you know, it's saying look, you know, we might have invaded, but we might have invaded Europe, but the job's mm. not done yet. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's the thing. Like it's it's the sub <clears> the, <throat> the subcontext of these movies is also another really interesting <clears throat> thing. It's like yeah, you know, when they're made, what they're about. So as I say, mm. Miss Grant goes to the door. That's an invasion scare movie in 1940. Mm. Mm. Later in the war, you get these really well-made full productions that are, are interesting in their own right as films. But like you know, that movie is basically, oh, if you're going to join the army next week, this is what it's going to be like. <clears throat> so you know, it's 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 great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, I, yeah. One of the films I'm excited about at the moment because I still get excited about films when I find them is Nine Men, which is a film about the the desert campaign, um, mm. and that has okay. a very strong uh, the way ahead motif it's a mm. it's a, a, a platoon sergeant talking to his new his new platoon that he's training about his time in the desert and it's it's sort of if you think the way ahead meets sahara it kind of yeah melds the two together and it he, t- he tells uh, the story about this patrol that got uh, surrounded <clears throat> by italians in a uh, I, I suppose it's like a, a desert a little, little hut. shack hut yeah. type thing um and it's great. Mm. It, it's made with maybe like twenty thousand pounds on a tiny budget, but it just feels great. And that again is another one of those films which it's a propaganda piece and it has a it yeah. has a purpose. It's it's recounting things that you know would have happened in the desert. It's recounting actions and it's also <clears throat> showing the training process of of uh, of, of new soldiers. Just the same as the way ahead does, and yeah, certainly showing as well uh, how uh, the British uh, culturally and associate socially was changing. So it isn't clipped officers telling no. working class men to run over a ridge with bayonets fixed. It's mm. working class sergeants telling other working class men how to fight and what to do. And look, men from all different walks of life. You've got a guy who's from Cambridge who's educated. You've got a guy from the Glasgow docks who's rough and ready. It's showing subtly showing the audiences back then. Look, the army has mm. changed. It's it's not now something where you're going to be led by. You very might be led by officer class, but not everyone in your regiment is going to be mm. like that. You know, they're going to be. It's different. Yeah. It's showing the class structure is changing. The army's changing. It's, it's a very interesting film for that reason as well. What I'm I'm looking forward to covering. I think we might do this month. Yeah, I think um, it might be. Yeah, look forward to. Yeah, I, to I well. still get excited when I find new stuff. It's new <laughs> to me anyway. I yeah, think man, we get frantic messages from um, each other. Oh, I've just found this. You've got to get on it. <laughs> get it watched. Yeah. Um, I think a definitely a um, <clears throat> sort of a wartime film that I uh, I quite enjoy actually watching. Um, and I've got. I remember coming across it years ago. Is um, went the day well. Um, and I absolutely love that film. I think I think it's like Thora Heard um, and and people like that. And she sort of ends up killing yeah. a, a German in a in a house with an axe. Healing like, studios. It's one, it's yeah. this, it's, just, it's crazy. It's, it's brilliant because it's almost like a, 
1940s black and white version um, of uh, The Eagle Has Landed in a way, um, kind of. Yeah, it feels like um, it. Which, which I, I absolutely love it. And sort of the kit that's in it, like the early sort of um, uh, sort of uh, post-Dunkirk kind of kit, it's just, it's just brilliant. I absolutely love it. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's... Classic. Yeah, and for, for a film that old as well, and, done, and, and as I say again, like during wartime as well, it's, it's very well done. Like really, really well done, like brilliantly yeah. shot, and then and it really focuses on like some really like gritty stuff as well for the period, like for example when the um, uh, I think it's one of the older women within sort of thing ends up taking one of the grenades that comes through the window into the spare room to save the children. It's like oh, it's, yeah. it's like it's quite like oh Christ, like <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. it focuses and... on some yeah some hard hitting stuff. I think yeah, it, that, it, that's that's um, it's a fascinating film. Looking forward to covering that actually. But it, yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. clearly a propaganda piece, but it's mm. showing <clears throat> people the resolve that the government yeah. hopes and thinks the British yeah. people would have in the face yeah. of an actual invasion. And well, that that that's a really <clears throat> interesting one because one of the first earliest films we covered was uh, another Ministry of Information piece called Miss Grant Goes to the Door, and that's mm-hmm. that's a, para, a paratrooper um, invasion plot there. Mm-hmm. On a very small scale, very small <laughs> budget, it's just one house um, and two two spinsters open, answer the door, and it's um, yeah. it's a fifth columnist, um, and yep. he's a parachutist um, at the window, injured. Um, and as you say, they're well they're well shot, and people think, well, British cinema in, in the in, during the war must have been quite hokey, and you know, mm. the American films are so much better, yeah. but it's not not true at all. We've got rare like. Excuse me. We've got really raw talent in, in Britain at that time. Desmond Hurst yeah. directing, um, Guy Green doing amazing cinematography. Henry Watt doing Target for Tonight and, and Nine yeah. Men, yeah. And, and went the day well. And Nine Men are Ealing Studios films, so mm. you know they might be well known for their you know Passport to Pimlico things like that. You know your your Ealing comedies, but in the war they mm. were churning out a lot of propaganda type movies. A lot of mm. Um, there's a good film I forget the name of the movie but they made one about uh, the fire brigade fighting the blitz fires um, they do a lot of work and it, it, as I say you know unless you are a filmophile cinephile and you know this <clears throat> it, it gets lost you know there, there's a lot of good war movies from that six year period that aren't you know that aren't sort of as well loved as they should be perhaps Absolutely. so it's, it's another it's an Another reason that, that the genre, I find the war movie genre so interesting because you've got war movies made in a war like that. I think that's, on some level, that's just... It adds mad, an extra nuance to it, doesn't it? That it's, yeah. makes it really interesting to, to, to pick apart the subtexts mm-hmm. of how these films were made and why they were made like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I think it's, 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 it's a great thing because I um, absolutely love, absolutely adore film and like, war films in general. I think my personal favorite is Battle of Britain, and always has been. Um, just mm. from just from the music to the to the cast, it's it's just it's 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 fantastic. And for 1969, it's just it's brilliant. And what they were able to do, um, even if obviously there's little bits here wrong and everything, like they're using Spanish-made copies, etc., of German aircraft. Yeah, and sort of thing. Bits, but, yeah. It doesn't take away from like it, that has never taken me away before from the whole yeah. um, spectacle of it. And it's just, it's brilliantly written. It's yeah, I, I personally that's my masterpiece in my in my growing up and everything. Topic. It's just been oh, absolutely, absolutely. 
well that's it isn't it with war films for so many of us that are interested in history they they were um a childhood way into history for a lot of us i think um i know i watched countless afternoon and weekend matinee war movies with my granddad um rainy afternoons that kind of thing um and they just become intrinsically linked with your memory of your childhood and uncovering something that you're you're going to be interested in for the rest of your life you know yeah yeah uh, i i put down my interest in in history down to all, a lot of <clears throat> the films i watched with my granddad i think it's formative Wolf, watching war films with my dad and it was just it was fantastic like he had my family in general has always been um fairly military centric um and as, as i said at the start like my dad mm-hmm. Dad had served um, 20 years in infantry, um, multiple tours in Northern Ireland, Germany, et cetera, et cetera. And then my granddad had served in Malaya, et cetera, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's just, it's spanned on from there, just hearing stories and then watching films and watching documentaries and countless other, everything really, going to museums and God knows what else. It's, um, mm. It just it expands the mind really. And then sort of wound up having today sitting in a room with too much kit. It's great. <laughs> like it's yeah. It's like um, if my wallet could talk, I would um, get it put away. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's really it's really not good, really. Um, no, but no, no. Is that it's brilliant? I think that's really really um, good place, and we'll uh, go for a quick break, and uh, we'll join us uh, join us back in a minute for uh, the second part. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to help support us, then join our Patreon. You can join from just £1 and enjoy access to all of our content as well as helping to keep the podcast going. Visit patreon.com forward slash livinghistoryuk to sign up and help us to keep history alive. Okay, welcome back to part two of the Uncontemptibles podcast. Um, again, I'm joined by uh, Robbie Maguire and Matt Moss. So really, really thank you again, guys, for joining me again. Um so as we were talking about in the first half, uh, we're going over the, the Fighting on Film podcast, et cetera, and talking about war films to a great extent. Um, and uh, if you guys want to add anything else to, to what we're talking about in the first half um, in regards to films, et cetera. Sure uh, thing. Yeah. I mean, so as are you, I mean, I guess maybe bring it onto your, onto your background. Um, yeah. And what you do um, as in <clears throat> history. How do you feel... You know, do you feel like your your hobby gets affected by the films? Um, it it, it did originally um, when I sort of first started getting into sort of things, and like um, like when I first started collecting, I was sort of collecting similar things to what my dad used, etc. Um, but then also I used to obsessively watch things like Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan, and was collecting things and like yeah. emulating things from that kind of that sort of aspect. Um, which was good as a way to starting off, but then going into actually going to events and that, I'm just like, yeah, I've really dropped the ball here. Um, so I've really got to put, put a lot more attention into everything, really. Because um, mm. I think I, I, I remember like vividly, like around my, around my nan and granddad's, uh, watching Band of Brothers on like repeat constantly and making like top, making like wooden Thompsons and wooden M1 Grands with my granddad. Just like, yeah, because of what I was watching Band of Brothers um and then 
getting my first M1 uh, helmet and then getting some other little bits and then realizing I like American, but I really like British kit. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then that sort of expanded and then gradually I got a few little bits here and there. Uh, my dad um, bought me a set of battle dress at one point um, and that expanded into me going to like shows, uh, which was great. And as I said on one of the previous podcasts, um, sort of got into doing events properly because I've done like the occasional railroad event with friends and that, but I got into it properly through Airsoft, which was, which was great. Uh, and then I was approached by one of the guys there who commented on some of the kit I was using um, and got into reenacting through that way and went to my first like proper show, which was um, uh, Trilogy down in Kent, um, which was which was fantastic. Yeah. I've been I've been to the show before multiple times, but never like participating, if that makes sense. Um, when did you do your first? What year was your first Odyssey? Um, I think it was 20. Well, the first show, I, the first sort of show I, um, I did as being there in the way of not just a punter yeah yeah, yeah. i think 2014 um oh, yeah 2014 yeah. uh so so it's, it's been a six yeah first one did was two, 2006 yeah oh crikey yeah like, yeah i oh, think no. up, yeah up until that point i've been doing like little railway events um in kit like uh we're on the line and bluebell line etc Mm-hmm. Um, which which was great, and I did little things along that lines. And I've I've been to like these big events before with my like, my dad mm-hmm. and my mum and all that sort of stuff. So I've been to Odyssey, I've been to Overlord, I've been to all these sort of things. Um, and and it's always fantastic. And then I was and then I thought to myself, wow, I'm actually going to a show with a group. This is going to be amazing. And and it was it was it was an experience, even if it did chuck it down on the Monday. Um, <laughs> so which, way, which, which is a bit which yeah. is always a bit of a thing. It was like oh, okay, and then that sort of expanded from there. And then I've I've been in several different groups. Um, I, I do Cold War, I do Great War, the Second War, etc. Um, and all these sort of expanders. I did a little, I delve a little bit into Vietnam. Um, and gradually, as time goes on, I'm getting more and more to the collection. And it's a massive rabbit hole. And I've been asked multiple times to get into do Rhodesian. I was like, I can't afford it. Um, so, <laughs> so yes, it's, it's, it's insane. Like it's, it's difficult enough getting kit together through a British impression um british um impression of northern yeah. ireland let alone um doing something a completely different part of the world it's like yeah it's 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 tricky um but no it's it's gone gradually and slowly but it's it's expanded a lot yeah. especially in the especially in the past few years with um started doing cold war etc which was an amazing thing because i was always wanted to do cold war um but never really had uh, the funds or really any groups to connect with if that makes sense um so I, yeah, started, yeah. I started doing cold war properly with a group called east meets west i was doing rmp at the time and um, with them and then i sort of went more in just the standard infantry role which i preferred um but no it's uh yeah uh so um no it's, it's been fantastic and then obviously in the past year or so met steve from living history uk got into doing events with them did the trench event last year which was amazing absolutely amazing like basically spending 48 hours um in a um almost exact copy of a section of trench on the somme in basically almost the same chalk as well which was crazy yeah uh so one thing i never did when i did a deli- <coughs> World War one reenactment for nearly six years and i never did a trench <coughs> and like overnight trench event mm. it's, i was gutted we used to do the trench at odyssey like yeah. the off ground one that you could tour yeah. through mm. and that was great but I never got to do an actual sit-in 
trench event and it still <laughs> sticks in my craw. It's the one thing I wanted to do. <laughs> Whenever it was on and I'd be working or I couldn't get the time. Yeah. It's gutting. Absolutely gutting. But it, it, it was insane because like I, I, I've been in I've been in trenches before, but it, it's one thing going through a trench just like in trainers and t-shirt and whatever. Once you're in it in kit at night, having to even though it's it's a reenactment living history thing, you're not going to get hurt in the way of like from live ammunition, obviously, but you still have a sense like you've yeah. got to keep down and everything. And it's, it's so exhausting. And I knew I was going to, it was going to be, I'm going to have massive sleep deprivation, but not to the extent I did. It, it was crazy. Like you're constantly awake. Mm-hmm. You're having, um, you're getting maybe an hour, hour and a half sleep at any time. And, and yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah it's 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 knackering but it's it was so well worth it it was brilliant absolutely brilliant and just mm. there were bits in there where it's it makes the whole event so there was one point we were up on the line um it was our sort of turn and i was part of member of uh, two section two section yeah two section um and we were just sort of sort of just like watching the german line etc it's probably like two o'clock in the afternoon and then the germans start singing which was really really bizarre Mm-hmm. Um, and then we replied with singing and they applauded us and then one of them let off a round and we shouted oi and then they started shouting back oh sorry Tommy <laughs> it was it was just fantastic just the whole sort of singing competition we had with them was just brilliant they were singing in German which was great um, and it, it's something you sort of take away from the whole thing it's like that's that's why I do this it's just brilliant yeah and, and then on top of that obviously with um, when you take that sort of experience and what you've learned from that even if it's like a very very small bit of what probably these guys went through um you can then pass that on to members of the public and it, it makes it all worthwhile really and that's why we started doing the podcast um yeah. and steve because <clears throat> we wanted to sort of pass it on to people who might not know these things and that's why he started living history uk as well like his his tiktok has grown from in literally the space of a year from a few hundred followers to over eighty thousand now um which which is absolutely insane yeah um and he's like funny i i i I, first time i ever logged it up tiktok i got the video i think of his that went viral where it's like the 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 clock the camera with the pictures yeah 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 and i was like okay i'm sort of because i'm a bit of a cynic on that app everything seems staged and then the photos came up and it's people i used to be in the same group with Mm, mm. i won't name any names but like you'll probably know so like there's people, and I was like, hang on a minute, I know that guy. I know that guy. And you've got all the people in the comments going, wow, these hundred year old folks are so like, <laughs> yeah. clear. And I'm like, it's not, I, love, I know I who it. they are. You know, and I, I, I didn't it. comment anything. I didn't want to shatter the illusion, but I was like, it, it, oh, was, okay. it was, it was the bit yeah, of film. Yeah. It was the bit of film he did where he has a long winter temporary playing and we're sort of marching That's down it. the road. It was funny, but like one of the comments that made me absolutely just laugh as hell was, um, oh my God, you can't believe all those guys would be dead now. I was like, well, I'm still here. <laughs> it was it's just yeah. absolutely hilarious people, and then some people were going oh my god it's all fair it's like well yeah he didn't he didn't claim that like all oh, the like it was a sarcastic thing oh found this camera look what i had look what was inside it was it was an obvious yeah, yeah. like yeah but it was it yeah was no, it, it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant and, and the photos that came out especially of us in the trench event during the trench event, the photos that came out some of them look absolutely like literally looked like they could have been taken on the somme in 1916 um like there's one one of them which is in the rear line trench i'm actually just around the corner of it sleeping at the time and one of the one of the guys sort of just sitting just looking at the camera after seeing the guy's photo and it looks absolutely awesome it just looks like it could be could have been taken out of the time period Mm. itself and it's and it's yeah it's something i'll never forget and it's um 
it's crazy because all, all this sort of led on like um, beforehand. I was sort of, I knew a few people and everything. I'd briefly met, um, well, I'd, I'd known like Simon Moore, for example, for, for a little while, um, uh, for about a year or two, well, about a couple of years by this point. And then, then I met like Ramsey Green, who went to the Chilton training event, etc. And then met all these different people. And it's, it's become sort of like a massive thing. And it's, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, like this hobby has done wonders like for, not just the collection but also just with my knowledge and everything as well which is just it's incredible and i couldn't be more thankful really for it which is great cool that's good yeah because i I don't know with you guys like um obviously like uh matt you do obviously the armorous bench um and obviously you've met some amazing people through that as well obviously and then obviously with fighting on film like you've met al murray you've met um yeah, it's just it's it's incredible. We've met it's, we've met a number of people from the film industry that have been absolutely fascinating. So we interviewed um, interviewed a sound <clears throat> designer and sound editor uh, a few months back, and mm. his insights just blew my mind. Mm. Um, yeah, it's crazy. We want to get more people on like that. We're going to mm. get um, hoping hoping to get uh, a stunt coordinator on, someone who's been an armorer on sets. I think those are, are, are real insights and it, it kind of mirrors a little bit of what you were saying there about experiencing life in a trench. Like you can't really understand what it takes to make a film until you speak to people that are making exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that's, it's so fascinating to hear about the intricacies of why things are made the way they are. We spoke to Stuart Ebb and the director of um, uh, uh, An Ungentlemanly and, Act and uh, that the only British um, film about the invasion of the Falklands, uh, one of the few films actually made about the Falklands, full mm, stop. Mm, mm. And his insights into you know, the research that he'd done and what he had in mind for the film, and then how it came out is sort of a almost <clears throat> slightly comic because of the sur- the sur- um, <clears throat> surreal uh, circumstances of that whole event. Yep. It kind of he conveyed it on screen with a little bit of humor, and I think it works mm. so well in that film. But yeah, it for me when it when it comes to um, doing doing our podcast, I think some they're some of the most mm. rewarded episodes. Mm. Yeah, they are. You learn so much. Like you know, think thinking about Kit and things like um, things like that, like Taff Gillingham. We had him on. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say about Taff. Yeah, because you you did talk, um, yeah, Journey's End with yeah Journey's End with him. Yeah, and like learning about you know what it takes to get authentic Kit on screen is is so interesting <laughs> and. You know, the hoops that Taff has to jump through and you know how how involved he gets in, in into the movies and then you see something that Taff's worked on you know it's going to look great and the, mm. the kit's going to be amazing but then you watch another movie and you're like well who the hell who, who are they getting to do their kit yeah sort of yeah. Thing. yeah yeah so it's it's really interesting to as Paul <clears throat> said sort of go behind the behind the sort of the curtain a little bit and and, mm. and get some behind the scenes info because I think that you know the making of a movie is often more interesting than the movie itself yeah no exactly like as you said about like taff like, I've, I've known of his work for quite a few for quite a few years sort of thing because obviously he, did, he helped out with the with the trench back in uh, i think it was 2001 i think it was which was yeah, yeah which, which was incredible um i've only seen the first two episodes which is a shame but um no that, yeah, that was brilliant rerun yeah yeah, re- yeah absolutely Get like yeah player yeah because he, he, he um basically does their plays a little sort of platoon sergeant for that which is great and mm. then also he did um work with i'm trying to remember the name of it now bad lads army as well 
Yep. That, which was, yeah, which yeah. was brilliant. I absolutely love that series. Um, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, and just it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think the f- the first sort of time I sort of got into conversation with Taff was he was correcting me about um, insignia. So. Yeah, that was <laughs> we had a little tiff. tiff mm-hmm. Yeah, tiff about what, what Taft doesn't know it doesn't isn't important yeah, really. I yeah, think. exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize who it was at first. I was like, oh, it's Taft. Okay, I'll take his word for it then. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, okay, I'll 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 get off my high horse and step back yeah. a bit. So, um, but no, no, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. And as you, as you said, you with guys you spoke spoke to from the film industry and. Um, like uh, like the extras um, who basically paint up sort of Richard Ambrose sort of small army for uh, um, yeah the APR etc. It's just yeah it's, it's just mm. fantastic. It's just absolutely awesome to listen to, and um, mm. just such a good insight into sort of that world, which is just incredible, absolutely incredible. Mm. That, that's that was such a fun chat to have. I mean, <clears> those <throat> lads had such great stories from from mm. the set and behind the scenes, and yeah learning about how they fired a peer a camera um that blew my mind i loved it that was just yeah, so yeah. interesting <clears throat> it's one of my one of my favorite episodes we've, we've done like yeah. the recording of that was amazing and no matter work that took to get together it, you know it really it was really worth it in the end you know like yeah. half a year's worth of work to get that it was it was really something special yeah yeah no it's yeah it was it was a great episode absolutely love listening to that um so getting a little bit into obviously your your work with uh, the Armourist Bench, obviously. Um how sort of did you get in sort of that in the way, Matt, with obviously with the firearms, et cetera, and then uh, going forward yeah. with that? Well, I mean I said I said war movies <clears throat> were formative and they definitely were, but my other granddad, um, very early on, I think when I was like six, gave me a, a Jane's recognition guide for guns, which is mm. definitely not something that you expect someone to give to a six-year-old. Um, <laughs> uh, Rob, you can ever. expect a copy of that for Ernie in about five years' time. Lovely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, rem- mm. I just remember being as a, a kid, just flicking through this book and being like, wow. Mm. And, and my mom always joked like years later when she was talking to people about, you know, me, me going to university for history and such and such. And she, she was like, yeah, you could put him down in front of a film and he'd tell you what kind of gun <clears> they had. <throat> and it's still the case. Like my girlfriend now is just like, she's just waiting for me to tell them. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> same, a Glock. same with my, that, that's a same with my wife. Three yeah. My partner's group. Yeah. yeah. Can't stand <laughs> it now. <laughs> yeah. it's it's just, like, it, I always it, say it's, it's that meme from a, uh, um, once upon a time in Hollywood, where mm-hmm. uh, Leo points at the screen, it's that every time with kids. It? <laughs> it just can't help yourself. But yeah, so I—that's uh, where it came from from an early age, and then um, yeah, I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. I, I in 2013, I, I started doing a blog just to keep my hand in. I was I was writing about little bits of history, and I'd always been really interested in the engineering side of firearms mm. and the way that they're actually used and issued is really fascinates me. So how men were trained, because when you think about military history, a lot of it can be so operational level um, and it's very strategic, but I'm always interested in what it comes down to on the most basic man to man level. It's what impact do the the things that the guys are carrying have on them. Mm. And that's something that obviously comes in a lot in uh, reenacting where, you're walking around in the kit and you get a feel for, oh, this 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 knapsack's really heavy. These cross mm. pieces on this webbing are shit. Um, mm. This this pouch does not carry enough rounds. Uh, oh, I can fit this into this pouch. You know, I can get five clips and a, and a number 36 grenade in there. It, that's the kind of insights mm. that you get from 
mm. from from working in the kit and also reading first-hand accounts. But especially for me as a historian, there's so many um, things that I wish people had recorded when it comes to personal kit, small arms, yeah. how things were actually used and deployed. <clears throat> there, are, the, the just soldiers don't go and yeah, and then then um, I topped off my magazine. Um, my zero was a little bit off, so I, I corrected left by three inches. And then, I, you know, it, they, they don't talk <laughs> about that and, and or they don't talk about I, I put just enough oil on my on my bolt. So it was smooth mm. running, but didn't capture it, like dirt and, and sand and grit and stuff like they don't really talk about that mm. kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one of the things that always fascinated me and, and made me want to look into that minutiae, that niche area of history. So. Yeah, with the Armourer's Bench, I started that in about 2017 with a, with a friend of mine, Vic Tuff, who uh, was an armourer uh, for, for a long while. Um, and he worked uh, for a number of UK-based companies and doing import-export on, on things. And uh, he, he, had, he has some really interesting insights into a lot of the Cold War stuff that was going on. Um, but I, one, of the, one of the interesting things about doing the armor's benches i i get to handle things and i i can i can convey in both written articles which are sourced and detailed and, and thoroughly researched but I, I can also put it into a mini documentary which creates yeah. um a more accessible because that's one of the things i always want to be i want to approach things academically but i want what people interact with and read to be accessible and understandable um so yeah, I mean, from from that, I've covered everything from disassembling an HK G11 uh, to um, mucking around inside tanks, looking at aircraft. Um, I've done entire series on obscure things like footage I found of uh, early SOE engineers demonstrating how to um, use various bits of plastic explosive. Yeah, all sorts of different things, and and I, I know it's a can be viewed as a bit of a niche channel but i, I it's not solely firearms related I, I i do branch out into vehicles and uh one of my new areas of interest is anti-tank weapons and that came from writing the book about Piet, mm. um which i was a book i didn't expect to write i didn't pitch to write the book they they sort of suggested would you be interested in writing a book about the Piet? Mm. and i thought well no one else has written one so i might as well <laughs> Um, and and it was just it was an absolute joy to research, and that's always the most fun about writing a book. It's the research part. the The writing up is fun, but the the research and learning absolutely, new stuff absolutely. and discovering things is is the most fun, I think. And just learning the the all of the like the misconceptions we have about pits are just complete bollocks. Like none of it is, is <laughs> really holds true. Oh, it's spring powered. It's it's bloody not <clears throat> spring powered. You know, it, it's a piece of shit. Like. It, it wasn't. It was ad- It was more than adequate for the job it was doing. It was the only anti-tank weapon of, of the period that could take on any German tank mm. armour, basically. Um, granted, you had to be close and you had to have a, a fair set of balls on you to actually get close and use them. Because some of the accounts of, of guys using them are incredibly... Mm. Like, you yeah. just you go up reading them and you just... You, something you can't believe. There's one I remember from... Um, I think it was. I think it was Goodwood. He po- the the chap crawled up to the side of a parked. Pa- um, I think it was an SPG, actually, not a tank. Um, and he he literally just stuffed his peer through the hedgerow and fired. <laughs> literally within maybe 15, 15, 20 feet. Christ, absolutely nothing in terms of range for a, for an anti tank weapon. Um, 
it's just incredible. Like, and there's, mm. there's so many uh, first-hand accounts that just blew me away. Mm. But yeah, that, that's one of those gratifying things. And I try and get that into, um, into the videos I make as well. I try and include people's opinions, uh, what people thought about the weapons. And that takes a lot of research and time. It's not something you can, you can just rustle up. So things can take a, a, a little bit of time to, to pull together and make these little documentaries, which I know Rob is the same, uh, the one he's working on at the moment about Sustrin, um, which I hope he, he tells you all about in a minute is, is going to be so interesting. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just find engineering and firearms fascinating. It's just, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I suppose it's niche, but I think it's, it's an important niche because as I said earlier, it's, it's what the individual soldier on a man-to-man basis um, fought each other with. And that's, that's the, that's the most base level of human conflict, isn't it? It's when it's, when it's man-to-man. And I think, I think understanding that is just as important as understanding the more strategic levels of, of military history. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it's sort of takes for like a sort of man to man kind of thing. Like the, any any all uh, any accounts from say like the assaults on the hit like the hills and the mountains around sort of Stanley during the Falklands War, like yeah. those accounts of um guys going up to the mountains fighting literally at point blank range or at hand to hand combat in the dark, and it's yes. just it's 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 incredible. And yeah, it's like so, there's a, I included a couple of great ones from um, <clears throat> from uh, from those battles in in my book on the Sterling. Yeah, yeah. Because it was a personal weapon at that point. <clears throat> and there's one where they went into uh, an Argentine bunker, and there was a dead guy on the floor. They assumed he was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this uh, the corporal was was moving through to to clear the the this little bunker that had been dug into underneath some rocks. I think by the sound of it. Um, and the body moved and his cover man just emptied an entire mag from the <laughs> sterling into this guy on the floor. Jesus. Um, yeah. Jesus. So, it, I, and, and that's the crux of, of, of um, small arms use because mm-hmm. that's what submachine guns were designed for. The earliest yeah. ones were designed for trench warfare. And that is exactly <clears throat> what was happening on those hills around Stanley. Mm. That's, that's, it's, it's incredible. And as, and obviously you were talking about the pit as well, like, um, like Robert Kane's VC win during uh, yeah. during Arnhem is that which is just insane, going mad with a pier, and then and then at one point he's got like a two inch mortar and he's firing it from the mm. hip. It's 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 incredible. Yeah. It's like this this man is is insane or a tank. It's um yeah, it really sort of brings it home. Like people like people would do very very odd but amazing things. And um, well, the pier the pier had at least seven or eight <clears throat> uh, VC wins associated with it. Mm-hmm. And from my, my research that I was I, I did, but um I, I couldn't even capture the whole breadth of it. Yeah. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of, of mentions in dispatches, military medals, um, DSCs, all sorts of all sorts of different uh gallantry medals associated with peer use because of the <clears throat> it being a short range weapon, but it was yeah. a weapon of necessity. You know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't hope to take out a tank at what five kilometers like a javelin yeah. can now it, exactly. it just that exactly. technology didn't exist at that point mm. Mm. um shape charges were, were, were a new thing <clears throat> so when people think about the pit and they go oh it's just it was a spring-powered bizarre plumber's nightmare yeah much yeah. like the stern yeah it, that's it's, awesome. yeah 
it's not yeah. the case. It's like it was cutting edge engineering and it was quite clever. It was a it was ingenious design to deliver quite a large bomb uh, in a manner that didn't hurt the fireer. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> we, we just didn't have yeah. recoilless technology at that point. Exactly. Yeah, because it's about what's it a two pound shaped charge, isn't it? So mm. um yeah, and it's yeah, I, I've more. never liked yeah, yeah. I've never liked the rap the Peter gets because I've always loved it. It's and from from the accounts I've seen, it's been fairly effective or quite effective in general way better yeah. than say the panzer shrek or the bazooka really at all so it's well been... they all yeah they all had their flaws and <clears throat> yeah peer did have have its flaws no doubt yes yeah. i'm not a, a complete apologist for the peer yeah yeah i'll i'll go to i'll go to bat for it but i'm not a peer apologist <laughs> yeah. they did have issues and they men were killed um <clears throat> by uh blast back debris and such mm. um from from a design flaw with the bomb, uh, Debra used to fly back along the the, je- the trajectory of the bomb tube at the rear okay. of the bomb, and it used to act like a funnel. Um, okay. Until they realised this that, that that was a danger, and then obviously a lot of um, improvements were made with the fuse because fu- uh, fuses used to fail to ignite when they when they grazed off tanks. So they developed okay. a, what's known a great as a graze um, fuse, and that would detonate the bomb as soon as it touched. <clears throat> Uh, okay. armor whether it was sloped or not so the the were limitations to the pier but mm. people forget that the, the bazooka had quite a lot of flaws i mean yeah it, it that didn't have a uh, straightforward introduction to service either um but world war ii is that is the big that beginning of of absolutely fascinating infantry anti-tank weaponry that we yeah. see begin in world war ii and then <clears> it just <throat> takes off and during the cold war and all sorts of things come out mm. but um yeah, the the pier, it's a it's a fascinating weapon. It, it's just it's like a sort of nice sort of quirky, almost steampunk esque of it as well, which I just mm. I just love the love of it. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And um, so um, so Robbie, obviously with our military history, um, what sort of like got you into that sort of area of way? Well, I well, I mean, it was well, I yeah, so I got <clears> back into history before. I got back into history. I've always had an interest in history, but I sort of, after uni, it wasn't my main thing. You know, I might have watched a documentary here and there, but I wasn't in it as, as deep as I am now. Um, and then one day I, I got a free Audible credit from a magazine, I think, or something, um, or, or heard you could get a free Audible trial. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just pick something at random. And James Holland's Normandy 44 came up, and I hadn't read a history book or listened to a history book cover to cover since gosh maybe like <clears throat> i was like 15 or something years you know like seven years at this point so i thought okay then i will and it just triggered me like i was hooked again so i started mm. i got on twitter started sort of like following people like matt and people like james holland and, and pete caddick adams getting back into mm. history sphere and i'd sort of i think i dropped mm. out of it because i thought history becomes stale and boring even though i was doing living history at events yeah. i wouldn't go home and read books about like World War One or World War Two. I literally <clears throat> knew enough to do an event. Yeah, like, I didn't yeah. have any more of an interest than doing the events with my mates, sort of thing. Mm. But now it's more of an enriched and a deeper understanding and learning. So, you know, from Matt and and, and Rich, people like Rich Fisher, I've learned how to, you know, research things academically, how to source and things. You know, they've really opened the door for me and showed me how to do things. So, I thought over lockdown, I was like. I'll start making some history mini documentaries for my YouTube channel. And, you know, just as and when the fancy strikes, I'll make some videos. And, mm. you know, as I said earlier, I 
sort of, I was like, oh, okay, so it's the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Imjim River. But I won't do the Imjim River from the British perspective. I'll do it from the Belgian perspective. <laughs> so went down a rabbit hole of, of the BUNC, that the Belgian United yeah. Nations Command, and their, inter- their their battle in Korea is really interesting. And I made another video about them a few months back, uh, the Battle of Hak Tang Ni, which was a, a last stand sort of action they did. Um, and then <laughs> I recently, about in the last six months or so, I got a diary that my grandfather wrote um, from January 1945 to the end of the oh, war. Wow. And he was part of the uh, First Fifth Queen's um, British Liberation Army. Um, okay. The Desert Rats. Um, yeah, and he, <clears throat> he fought from Operation Black Cock in 1945 all the way up to the capture of Hamburg. So I'm, I'm start, I've am I'm started a, a video about his, um, about the Battle of Susteren, the first battle that he fought in, mm. using his testimony and his, his uh, words. Um, so that's going to go live in a, in a couple of weeks or about a week's time on my channel. And then I'm hoping to spurn the diary off into a more in-depth book about his war because I never knew my grandfather. So <coughs> learning about him firsthand from his own yeah. words is quite it's quite a thing for me to learn That's about a member of my family I never knew. So, yeah, and I think as well, you know, history doesn't have to be bland. It doesn't have to be boring anymore. I think we're past that we're sort not. of... Yeah. I, th- I think we're getting past that boring sort of, you know, pink chino historian that that you tend to think of when you think of historians like yeah. they're still around yeah but they're nowhere near it's nowhere near as boring as it used to be and i think we've we've seen a different sort of as a different history interest coming in with people like damien lewis making his read his sas books you know you see james holland's books now in <clears throat> in tesco's so yeah. I think we're in a we're on a different level of, of history. You don't um, see my pink chinos in my videos, Rob. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think we're on a I think as well with like with podcasts like this and, and we have ways and all the new history podcasts now, I think new media has really opened up interest and opened up the easier access for history than it used to be. You don't just have to get a uni now to do history. You can do it without even having left you your, your house. It it's amazing. So, I mean, that's why I do what I do. And, you know, if, if people like broader history stuff than Matt's very in-depth, very well-researched videos, then come, come watch my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's sort of that. Not um... to say mine aren't well-researched, like they are. <laughs> well, know, they are, they are. Like, <laughs> peer review. <laughs> yeah, Matt's my peer reviewer. And, and, and yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, um, that's why I do it. You know, it's <clears> to make history accessible and, and interesting. And exactly, exactly. I think. I think to sort of quote Black Addict, it's very much beyond now very dull men looking at machinery. Um, yeah, so, it's still that. Yeah. It is still that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could be the name of my channel, actually. <laughs> Great. Not it true, sounds, not like Sky, sounds like a Sky History channel. Dull yeah, men it does, looking actually. at history <laughs> in a field, you know. <laughs> it no, does sound ab- like that. Absolutely, absolutely. No, that's, that's fantastic. Like, um, as you said, you, that's great. You've got your your grandfather's diary I, I wish i had something like that for my grandfather i wish mm. i'd asked him more questions before he passed away yeah um, and yeah, obviously with, with yeah. his time with his time in malaya then obviously with my um uh great grandfather as well he was um I've not sadly never met never got to meet him but uh he was a um, regimental sergeant major with the royal engineers during the war he oh, wow. you know, he'd been a pre-war soldier um served right way through um, he served in Palestine before the war as well, everything as well, um, as w- and was with the Royal Engineers when they liberated Belson as well. And um, oh. oh wow, 
<clears throat> and uh, off yeah it's great it's crazy and uh, mm. uh one of his one of his sort of comments about it that my dad recalled to me was um when they were approaching belson you could you could smell it before you got there which was just just insane Everything. um yeah and mm. and then and then after the war he was um uh, i think i was trying to remember it was, i think it was range keeper or um, for longmore after the war um he worked at longmore camp for many many years um so he passed away in the uh in the 60s i believe it was yeah but yeah no i would i would have loved to have met him there's some great photos of him in like in like germany of him coming out it was like house in germany like fully to the nines and he's um like very very nicely pressed battle dress and peak cap and everything his regiment of sergeant major it's like <laughs> that, that looks alley as hell it's great <laughs> it's brilliant, brilliant but um but no no it's yeah, yeah I, it's, I, I know what you mean my granddad was in uh was in <clears> singapore <throat> Uh, <clears throat> was captured. He was <clears throat> in Changi Jail, worked on the Burma Railway, and I always wish I'd asked him more. But at the time, I was so young, I didn't really know. I just i I interviewed him for a school project, and and that's something at least, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Um. But there's only so much you, you're going to tell a 11, 12 year old boy, isn't exactly, there, about exactly, your experience yeah. in, in a Japanese prisoner war camp? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that's why first-hand histories are so important. We've got to capture them while they're fresh, um, while men are willing <clears> to speak <throat> about them. And, and I think that's something I hope they're doing for the Falklands right now, and I hope they're doing for the Gulf yeah. War. I, th- I absolutely, hope, absolutely. I hope that institutions and researchers are capturing <clears throat> these first-hand memories of, of, of those conflicts because they'll get to a point in 30 years where we want to research these things and we want to write histories of them and we want to understand what was going on. And... It just won't be there. Like if people aren't exactly. speaking to them now, they won't be around. Mm. No, yeah. no, absolutely, absolutely. Like um, you saying about um, your grandfather and that being um, at the fall of Singapore. So, so was my um, uh, uh, my grandfather's cousin. I think it was my well, my great great uncle um, was captured at the fall of Singapore as well. And thankfully, he's got a few um, inserts um, in um, Forgotten Voices of World War Two. Oh wow! Ah, great. Which was which was great because my my dad told me that it was in there, so I immediately looked looked to find them, and I found them, and it was just brilliant. Mm. And I I use those inserts and those um few lines etc for a for a school project at the time as well. I was talk, I was doing a school project about Burma, um right. which was which was fantastic, and that that was just a nice little connection to then just to hear his story etc, and then to hear his story about um when the Japanese surrendered and what they did to them um during that sort of period of they got them to march around the parade square um constantly singing if they stopped singing they were beaten um it's just it's just crazy and that was when the war finished it's um yeah and it's just stories like that it's just it's incredible that's why i wanted to say um get like recordings or anything down over my dad's service as well um, yeah. so so his episode um sh- um should be up by the time we're doing this um uh, and it's uh yeah that and that's that, it was just incredible hearing little slight i'd asked him questions over the years etc he told me stories etc but it was a case of um finding out new little things that he told me which was just fantastic because mm. oh, I, I think as well like the closer we get <clears> to <throat> i think when you come off the second world war people tend to think that war stops yeah yeah i think some people so it, it, it's a great <clears> thing <throat> about like what me and matt and, and, and you jake are doing with your reenactment and things you, you've got to show a lot more broader scope than just the second world war i think sometimes yeah we get a bit, bit bogged down in the second world war and it's like you know <clears throat> malay um about mamo uprising borneo uh 
you know, Cold War, yeah. but BAOR. It's just as interesting, you know, sometimes more so than the Second yeah. World War. You know, I always yeah. joke about it, say, the Second World War. We know who wins. Like, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> exactly. something exactly. else. Exactly. Sort of thing. Like, it, it's not, <clears throat> it, it, not that it's in, not interesting at all, but, you know, something like your, your dad's experiences in Northern Ireland, I think they tend to get a little bit overlooked. Absolutely. Um, because it wasn't, obviously wasn't a popular or isn't deemed as a popular conflict. Yeah. But the lads that fought in it were just as important as those lads who stepped off landing craft at Normandy. <clears throat> they were still doing their job as soldiers. <clears throat> so their experiences are still important <clears throat> to the grand scheme of history, if you think about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why I love doing Cold War. And that's why I was very, very keen to interview my, my friend John Shanahan, who'd served with the um, Irish Army uh, as well and got his experiences as well and how he did and his experience of in, in the way of the troubles as well from that side of the border was very, very interesting as well. I thought it was great. But um, also focusing on like topics like Aden and, as you said, Borneo and the Malmö Uprising and, and things on those lines, things that aren't very well known. And especially with Northern Ireland, it's a, it's a very taboo subject. People are like, oh, well, you can't talk about this and that and the other. So, well, I know so many, so many guys who served out there um, and their stories deserve to be told. And, of course. Yeah, and it's, it would be a very much a disservice to them if we didn't. And yeah. like as, as I said, like with Northern Ireland, with the Falklands, with everything else like that, it's um, it's something I want to cover more in the future. Hopefully, um, yeah, exactly. hopefully, hopefully with first-hand accounts and even going off um, second or third as well. But um, I think it's definitely a case of get the stories as much as you can before it's too late, really, because otherwise we lose it. Really, really appreciate you guys coming on. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, if any of you guys want to, who are listening, want to check out um, any of uh, what um, these two lovely guys do, um, the, all the links to their Facebook, their Twitter, YouTube channels, and their podcast section will all be done in the description below. So please go check that out. Really, thank you guys again. Thank you, so Jake. It's, uh, appreciate it. No, you're very, very no welcome, mate. You're very welcome. Um, so that's goodbye from me. And uh, you guys want to sign off as well. Yeah, yeah bye-bye, thanks for having us on. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye, Bye guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.